Welcome to In The Know, a podcast hosted by Caitlin Dager and Samara Delmenico, where we take a deep dive into the boring stuff to bridge the gap between the law and young people. In other words, giving you your legally blonde moment. I object. Happy lockdown day five, fellow Melburnians. We are coming to you remotely today, hoping, praying and wishing upon a star that today is the last day of our SNAP lockdown and that Daddy Dan brings us some positive news in the coming hours. In the meantime, let's talk Britney Spears. That was a very, very good attempt at trying to be bubbly and hopeful when we were in the midst <laughs> of a bit of a depression here in Melbourne, but I appreciate we the effort. We are absolutely exhausted. <laughs> and that is why we are shifting our gaze from Victoria to the United States, where things are always so much worse. So without further ado, today we are going into the hashtag Free Britney movement, and with all the free time we've had on our hands over this snap lockdown period down in Victoria. We have, of course, watched the New York Times docker about it called Framing Britney. Today, we are taking a deep dive into the very public breakdown of 2007, the conservatorship put in place in 2008, and the movement to free Britney Spears. In the interest of complete and utter honesty, it was actually one of my friends, Jai, who messaged me telling us to do this episode. So cannot let that go unmentioned, but it's a really good one. So on the way, we stumble across some really sad moments for poor Brittany, some crazy fans and even crazier paparazzi, as well as some alarmingly confusing Instagram posts. If you know, you know. But first, Caitlin, how was your week of lockdown? Well, in complete contrast, juxtaposing, if you will, (laughs) last week where you had a list of items that we had achieved in a matter of days, I have no list, no numbering, and in fact, Mm. I have literally done nothing. I have not even properly exercised. This lockdown has not been good for me, but praying it's five days, so... Nothing positive, unfortunately. (laughs) If I had to put this lockdown into just 25 words or less, I would say um, on Saturday, I didn't leave the house at all. On today, actually, I didn't leave the house at all. I've been working in my tracksuit with a face mask on. And for some reason, I have three devices here, all of which are out of batteries, despite the fact I didn't leave the house today. So, you know, we're in shambles down here in Melbourne, but that is absolutely fine. Absolutely not 25 words or less. Very descriptive and very jumpy. In fact, not (laughs) concise at all, as you proposed it would be. But anyway, is that not lockdown brain for you? So let's go back to Brittany. We've both just watched the documentary and we're trying really, really hard to keep clear heads. What was your opinion on the documentary? How do you feel after watching it? Well, interestingly enough, I think I kind of did it almost the opposite way than you did because I did a whole bunch of research on conservatorships and Britney's situation Mm. prior to watching the documentary. And so I kind of went in there with almost a kind of a a not a super pro-Britney mindset Mm. unlike what's really popular right now and then I watched the documentary and got that point of view and thought it was really interesting there was a couple of things that stood out to me as alarm bells and made me really check myself to be like this is super biased obviously um there were some legal documents that they pulled out and quoted from that I tried to look up and I couldn't find but obviously acknowledging that they may be private I mean it was a closed court hearing overall I was concerned and it made me uneasy about the situation but still undecided on where I sit I think mm-hmm. what about you well I mean you're right in that we had approached it from different angles so I had done a bit of research about Britney's life in the public eye which we're going to talk about soon but I think that I was just really shocked about how she was treated in the media. And I know that it was a little bit of a propaganda piece and it was framed very much towards Britney. I mean, I'm a sucker for it, right? I didn't like One Direction, went and saw their movie, walked out a One Direction fan. Hated Katy Perry, saw her movie, walked out a Katy Perry (laughs) fan. So I'm really, really cautious of that leading into this. But I think some of the scenes were quite hard to watch 
just in in the way that she was treated by the paparazzi and the media like it just seemed like she was demonized and sexualized from day dot Mm, and I think that's interesting as well just in light of the media you're talking about here when she was going through a really difficult time in her life Mm. and she was going through a version of a really bad mental breakdown and it's almost like we've held her to that standard and kind of I guess like literally took taken a picture of her at that point in her life and decided that's who Britney Spears is from that moment onwards and we Mm. haven't taken into account that people have blips and people go through really really low points so just because she's in the paparazzi does that mean that we can just frame her as psychotic Britney from this day onwards and no longer having capacity to care for herself or others yeah I just think they put together a really outstanding view into that time for her you know with the the shots of the paparazzi surrounding her car and her having to walk through them and them yelling at her and screaming at her and she's saying I'm scared and breaking down in interviews because she's so affected by the behavior of the paparazzi and of course it's a a tale as old as time I mean look at um, Diana over in the UK and it's a similar kind of situation talking about the paparazzi but Lindsay Lohan, Paris Hilton, you know, Mm. the list goes on and on. And so I think it was quite a jarring watch in that sense. So I guess what we're saying here is uh, watch the documentary before you get into this episode. Yes, because we've now gone on for seven minutes about, (laughs) about it. Anyway, moving on. Start with a little bit of background. Before we get into the episode, just a quick disclaimer. In the No podcast and affiliated content are for information purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice on any matter. For the full disclaimer and further information, please refer to our show notes. She's had a relatively turbulent life in the public eye. So Britney Spears was born smack bang in the Bible Belt in 1981. And she was, if you watch the documentary, you'll see that she was the talented little American sweetheart that she rose to fame as from the day she was born. She was like this little church-going, petite, beautiful singing superstar. yeah. Mm -hmm. And surprisingly, her family were quite modest and working class. Then she headed to New York City without her parents in 1990 at the age of eight. Mm. Yep. To audition for the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, but was rejected for being too young. She then auditioned again in 1993, which was three years after, and was accepted and joined co-stars Justin Timberlake and Christina Aguilera, to name two of the very well-known ones. Then in 1994, the Mickey Mouse Club is cancelled and Britney moves back to Louisiana. She goes to high school, has a few years of a relatively normal life, until 1998 when she signs to Jive Records and records her debut album, Hit Me Baby One More Time. Mm, 1998 was a great year. (laughs) <laughs> the year you were born. I was mm-hmm. three. Brittany was 16 at the time. So when I was thinking about this, just think about that film clip, mm. the magazine article she was in at the time, how highly sexualized she was. Mm. And I think that's a really Even important... Even the schoolgirl fantasy. Yeah. The sexy schoolgirl fantasy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was and so And the innuendos of the song. Yep. And, mm. and are you telling me that a 16-year-old is pushing that narrative no a a bible belt american sweetheart it it, it was really the the 90s i mean the 80s as well but the 90s and early 2000s i thought was a really interesting time because it was like this big sensationalization of the media and paparazzi that i think we hadn't Mm. seen before and Mm -hmm. so she was kind of one of the and access to it as well with Mm, the internet exactly and she was one of the big names during this time and I think like Mm. this is when we went through the era that we're still trying to push back on now right I mean I'm no media expert at all but um it it was a time where there was kind of no boundaries and we weren't setting them yet and we're still struggling with doing that today so I think this definitely will play into what we're about to talk about a little bit later Mm. So between opening for InSync in 1999 and 2000, Britney had a meteoric rise to fame. She posed for Rolling Stone, appeared in TV sitcoms and hosted SNL twice. I love Saturday Night Live, (laughs) just as a little side note. I think it's hilarious. She confessed to dating Justin Timberlake, who was, of course, at the time, the front man of InSync, who many people now refer to hilariously as Noodlehead. Problematic man, to say the least. 
Oh, yes. She releases three albums in the space of those three years, the first of which sold more than 20 million copies. She signs a contract with Pepsi and performs at the MTV Video Music Awards with a python in that now iconic photo. Mm-hmm. Everyone would know it. Well, Google it if you don't. Then in <laughs> July 2002, she ends her four-year relationship with Justin mm. Timberlake. And it seems that she's beginning to go through her demonization by the media stage. Keep in mind, she's only 22 at this stage. Oh, so young. Mm. And although allegedly JT is a bit of a self-important man, Samara put a much crueler word in there, referring to the Janet Jackson nipplegate and his portrayal of the Britney Post breakup, which will run you through super quickly if you haven't watched the documentary. Essentially, he plays victim and Mm. talks about how great a man he was for taking Mm. her virginity, which is a societal contract Mm. and is patriarchal and we don't believe in it, but Mm -hmm. nonetheless... Does interviews about their sex life, about how crazy she is talks about her for the next 15 years and absolutely capitalizes Mm -hmm. on her absolutely poor britney Mm. just the misogyny anyways we move on (laughs) (laughs) so then the next three years britney is basically as we said all anyone talks about she kisses madonna during their performance of like a virgin at the mtv video awards which the camera then zooms right into jt to see his reaction Mm. and receives a star on the hollywood walk of fame she releases her fourth album marries her childhood friend in vegas only to have it annulled 55 hours later classic relatable (laughs) (laughs) She releases her first fragrance and in 2004 marries her backup dancer, Kevin Federline. K-Fed. Haven't heard that term in a while. And this is the point where potentially it starts to go really downhill for Britney. And if you think the last five years in the spotlight were easy for her, you are probably delusional. But I just feel like these years really upped the ante. She's being hounded by paps and is regularly crying in interviews. She clearly has substance abuse issues and is on the cover of every magazine worldwide. In 2005, she's banned from the Oscars alongside Paris Hilton and Pamela Anderson because the committee didn't want the award ceremony to become a sideshow. And shortly after, she confirmed she is pregnant with her first child. Wow. Ain't nobody got time for that. Her and K-Fed start their own short-lived reality TV show called Chaotic. She vomits in a hotel pool and gives birth to her son. In mid-2006, those now infamous photos of Britney emerge driving with her son on her lap. And she says in an interview that it's to escape the paparazzi. And DCF is called to investigate an an at-home incident regarding her care of her son. She announces that she's pregnant with her second child in 2006 and then gives birth in September. Less than a month later, she files for divorce. Now 2007, where it gets really hairy. In February this year, Brittany checks into a rehab facility only to check out the next day, then shave her hair off the following day, and in the space of the next seven months, Brittany is officially divorced, performs at the MTV Awards, releases her fifth album, and loses custody of her kids. If that is not a recipe for a mental breakdown, Mm. Samara, I do not know what is. Mm-hmm. All the while being literally swarmed mm-hmm. by paparazzi, sticking cameras in her face, screaming at her. Mm-hmm. We both commented before we did this episode about the absolute irony of the paparazzi who they interviewed. And he was saying about how, you know, she never said she wanted to be left alone. She never said that. You know, she never gave us a clue or information that that's what she wanted. And the interviewer says, what about when she said, leave me alone? And he goes, oh, ha, ha. She only said she wanted to be left alone for the day. We hear what we want to hear, don't we? Selective yep. selective listening. Mm-hmm. Yep. Thank you. That brings us then to early 2008, when Brittany is committed to a psychiatric ward and put on involuntary psychiatric hold. She's clearly not doing well at this stage, which paves the way for the conservatorship, which was applied by her father, Jamie Spears, and put in place later this year in 2008. And I guess this is the point where we remind you we are a legal podcast, which is why we are addressing this issue today. 
conservatorship (laughs) is a legal term and carries a variety of definitions depending where you're coming from. In this case, we will just give you the definition quickly in California, which is a court case where a judge appoints an individual or organisation called a conservator to care for someone who cannot care for themselves or who cannot manage their own finances, and that is according to the Judicial Branch of California. This was granted to Jamie so that he could protect Brittany by making decisions for her financial and medical well-being, right? Between 2008 and the start of 2009, Brittany appears on How I Met Your Mother, releases a sixth album, and embarks on her circus tour, which makes a profit of $131.8 million. Pretty impressive for someone who is too ill to manage her own care. In 2010, she then appears on Glee, and in 2011, she releases her seventh studio album. Spears has been in her conservatorship ever since. Now, before we talk about the conservatorship in relation to Britney, let's just talk about it generally. Generally, what does it mean and what does it actually do? Similar to a guardianship in other states and countries, such as in Australia, in California, the word used is a conservatorship. And it's usually these sorts of relations which involve people who are developmentally disabled or elderly people who suffer for something like dementia and who could be vulnerable to financial abuse. LA attorney Leigh Susan B. Jeffen said conservatorship in California is a protective proceeding for an adult. And essentially what she really emphasised here is that it's designed to serve a purpose, which is to manage medical or financial affairs for someone who is unable to do it due to age or infirmity. And this means that the impaired individual is appointed a guardian by the court. Zoe Brennan-Crone, who is a staff attorney with the ACLU, said the law supports conservatorships when less restrictive options are ruled out. And she said too often they're granted as a first resort when someone encounters difficulty or experiences age-related disabilities. Now, this is an interesting point that I think that we'll go back to about whether or not it's the most appropriate course of action in under the circumstances mm-hmm. she said that Britney's is one of the untold thousands nationwide under a guardianship or conservatorship calling her case unique because of her fame and fortune and I quote here but it's also interesting because in some ways quite typical we see across the country that people get into conservatorships or guardianships that they can't get out of and I guess this is going to be the theme of this episode mm. when we get into our discussion after this background mm about the way that it's it's really difficult to get these annulled. Yeah, yeah, and takes a lot of time and evidence on the conservator mm-hmm. that they potentially don't have the capacity or the means to do. Or should be placed with. Mm. Mm-hmm. Good point. But anyways, that's for later. <laughs> we'll give you a little bit more just on conservatorships in general. So, ironically, the first one is a general conservatorship, and this most often is used in cases of elderly people whose mental or physical capacity is severely compromised due to age. We then have limited, which is used generally for those who have developmental disabilities such as autism, epilepsy, etc. prior to their 18th birthday. Lastly, we have an LPS conservatorship, which is a mental health conservatorship as part of the Leighton Man Petra Short Act of 1967, which is just a legal term in California, which gives the conservator responsibility for overseeing comprehensive medical, so mental medical treatment, for adult conservatees who have serious mental illness, and it is used for those who require a very restrictive living arrangement or extensive mental health treatment. So really, really severe is kind of the theme we're trying to get across here. Basically, this conservatorship in the words of Zoe Brennan-Crone, again, that staff attorney with Disability Rights Project. She says that this legal process is extreme, opaque, parentalistic and often unnecessary. And just in relation to Brittany, what she says is that her case doesn't seem to meet the state standard for conservatorship, which is that the person can't provide for her own food, clothing and shelter. Basically, these are super easy to get into, but ridiculously hard to get out of. And if we just focus on that, it, it's really for someone who can't provide for their own food, clothing or shelter. Mm. Brittany's out there doing 
massive record deals and performing on stage, hosting TV shows. It's it's making profit, essentially. Mm. Oh, my God. So, basically, this is meant for Britney that she has not been in control of her financial or many of her career decisions since 2008. However, her finances do need to be reported to the court by her conservators, which actually throws an interesting spanner in the mix when her estate is making profit due to the decisions of the conservators for Britney. Oh, no. Interestingly enough, and we we are going to touch on this a little bit later, but Britney Spears is richer now, according to uh, Troy Martin, who is an LA lawyer and often handles these kinds of matters. Her father has managed to increase the value of her estate, as, as we said, to about $59 million, not including increases in real estate values. We're going to talk about this a little bit later, but obviously under the conservatorship, Britney doesn't have control over her career decisions, over the types of work she does, over the people she sees. And this isn't passive income. This isn't dividends from shares or rental income from a house that she owns. This is money that she's working for. And if we're looking at that low threshold that that LA attorney said Mm. earlier about it literally being someone who cannot provide for themselves in the most basic Mm. of basic means, Mm. you know, like washing, Mm -hmm. feeding, I don't know, just general interactions. But this person we're talking about here, Brittany, is going out and performing shows that are bringing in millions and millions Mm. of dollars. That is hardly the threshold for a conservatorship. I mean, in my opinion. And obviously we don't have any knowledge of her medical situation, her mental health Mm -hmm. capacity, her day-to-day functioning. But it Mm -hmm. just seems really odd and quite convenient that essentially... Legally, she has no right over her being. They make essentially all her decisions for her. They decide whether or not she works. She's doing these huge shows, selling out, making a lot of money. And she needs permission still to leave her house or spend any of her own money. And just to put in perspective for you how much she actually earned during these times, under her father's control of her estate, the financial value of it has gone up between 28 and 47 million, which is relatively substantial. Relatively, that's massive. 47 million. Yeah, I mean, when you compare it to my, what, 45k a year, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> okay, now that we have some sort of understanding of where Britney is currently placed and what a conservatorship means in law, let's just give you a quick rundown of how we got to where we are with Britney. So in 2008, Jamie petitioned the courts at the time for an emergency, quote-unquote, temporary conservatorship. It was granted and, under this conservatorship, Jamie was given the legal right to oversee decisions about Britney's estate and health, including negotiating business deals and restricting who can see her. It seems as though the Free Britney movement started in around 2009 when the freebritney.net website popped up. Just as a quick note here on the temporary nature of an emergency conservatorship. Mm. So just before we touched on how many steps there are and how many different checks there are to ensure that a conservatorship or a, a potential conservator is legitimate and is appropriate for the role. And that process takes quite a few months and it can often take 60 to 120 days I was reading on one attorney at law's website to actually have the hearing to have this discussion but in the case of emergency or temporary conservatorships that hearing can take place in a matter of five days so hardly enough time I would think to do the thorough checks to ensure that someone is appropriate to be put into this position which makes me think if that was done so quickly without the complete checks and balances that I assume take place in those kind of longer proceedings to have these conservatorships made when he was made the permanent conservator which we're about to go into further on was that just kind of like an easy oh he already is so let's continue where proper checks happened like what that's these are the questions i have So between 2009 and 2019, the conservatorship was continually extended. And in the meantime, Britney had rolled out several albums and even did a Las Vegas residency, which is no small feat for someone who apparently cannot manage her own affairs. Who cannot manage to feed herself. Mm. 
In 2019, Jamie filed a notice of intent to extend Britney's conservatorship outside of California to three other states, Louisiana, Hawaii, and Florida. But shortly after, Jamie stepped down as primary conservator after being accused of physically abusing Britney's 14-year-old son, Sean. Alarm bells. Mm-hmm. Longtime manager Jody Montgomery temporarily took over, and interestingly enough, Brittany filed a request in August of 2019 to permanently replace her father with Jody Montgomery, the licensed fiduciary who took over the conservatorship. I think it's worth just a quick mention here that in the documentary, they made note that Brittany didn't actually ever want her father. She didn't necessarily disagree with the conservatorship at the start, but she didn't want her father appointed. In 2019, Britney's staff also spoke out saying that the conservatorship benefited her. And around this time, she also did a month long stint at a mental health facility. So I think it's without a doubt clear. And I think clear if you look at Britney's Instagram posts, her behavior, it's quite erratic that she is suffering from a long-term mental disability. And perhaps she does need assistance to manage her finances, to manage her affairs, to get advice. But I guess the question that we're begging is a conservatorship the appropriate way to do it? Are there other means that she can access that are going to be more liberating for her, less control and probably do better to protect her interests mm, and I think than this, just a blanket rule. Yeah, and I think this is where we have to remember again that a conservatorship is meant to be a last resort. Mm. And this is really mm-hmm. looking like a first resort in this instance. Mm. And I think I see it a lot. Um, we were talking before on the podcast. I get a lot of, through my work, a lot of inquiries from people who are calling up about elder abuse. And I know that we're not talking about Australia here and we're not talking about elder abuse here, but it's a relatively similar situation when someone is appointed either a power of attorney or a guardian in Australia, that can mean that they can isolate someone and have a really, really large amount of control Mm. and really significantly financially abuse them without anyone being able to get the bank records, even get a look in. Police don't want to hear about it. So a lot of the times the answer that we have to send the client away with is there's not really much you can do without evidence and you can't really get the evidence without being in the position that the abuser is in so it's often a really hard situation where their hands are tied yeah and just to clarify what samara was meaning there because i kind of got lost along the way and had to come back so i'm sure a listener or two did too Um, In terms of being in the position of the abuser, what she meant was without having access to your financial records and your documents and some level of control over your life, it's really difficult Mm. to gather the evidence to substantiate a Mm -hmm. claim of abuse. So that's where this kind of issue arises, right? If a conservator can dictate who the person sees, how are they supposed to reach out for help? How are they supposed to use their finances mm-hmm. to employ their own lawyer? How are they supposed to even access bank statements to give to a lawyer when they're asking for proof that their assets are being mishandled? And we're not saying that in Brittany's case, her assets are being mishandled. We're just saying that perhaps it's not the appropriate method of caring for her. And I guess what we're really coming down to here is the checks and balances on it. Because Mm, what mm. we're seeing here is that the burden to revoke a conservatorship is on the person who's under it. And so take it back to that um, elder abuse example Samara just used. Mm. Without having the evidence or having the capacity to gather evidence because the person in control of your finances is the one you're going against, Mm. your hands really are tight. And if this is someone who at some stage in time, which I think we can concede here with Brittany, at some point in time, circa 2007, 2008, perhaps a conservatorship was appropriate because she was going Mm. through a period of time where she was clearly very low functioning, or at least what Mm -hmm. we could see from the media, was making erratic and irrational and arguably dangerous and aggressive decisions. So perhaps... Mm. And they mentioned in the documentary here as well that the big thing that they were thinking about here is undue influence. And so she, there's this person who's in a fragile mental position. A lot of people know about her. She's high profile and she has a large amount of money and potential to make money. Is someone going to take yeah. advantage of her and take her money? Which yes. is likely. And in the case of her father, hmm. perhaps he's benefiting off it too. Before we dive 
too far into our back and forth discussions that we have actually quite frequently been having on this podcast in the last few weeks. We will just cover out the end of 2019 into 2020 and into 2021. After Britney's brother speaks out in 2020 about how she wants out of the conservatorship, Britney's lawyers then file a motion to oppose sealing parts of the conservatorship. Essentially, her father has, for the majority of the time that he's been the conservator, has made sure that the court proceedings were sealed, that they were closed court and no one could access the records. She filed an objection arguing that the public should be allowed to know what is happening and hinting her support at the hashtag free Britney movement. The filing says Britney's conservatorship has attracted an unprecedented level of scrutiny from mainstream media and social media alike. Far from being a conspiracy theory or a quote unquote joke, as James reportedly told the media, in a large part, this scrutiny is a reasonable and even predictable result of James' aggressive use of the sealing procedure over the years to minimise the amount of meaningful information made available to the public. And I guess this is why it's taken so long for mm. the public to really rally behind Britney and work out what was going on in any any sense of the word. Then in November 2020, Britney loses her bid to remove her father from her conservatorship. Her lawyer told the judge at the hearing, my client has informed me that she is afraid of her father. She will not perform again if her father is in charge of her career. Irrespective of this, her conservatorship was extended to September 2021, and around this time, in a positive move, financial institution Bessemer Trust, which is a bank in America, was appointed as co-conservator of her estate. This is a potentially positive step because it, it would mean that her conservatives are slightly more impartial than they were before. And this is where it really starts to snowball. In January, Britney's lawyers said that it would be detrimental to give Jamie more control and in early February, the documentary Framing Britney is released. Celebrities start speaking out in support of Britney, as does her boyfriend. Finally, on the 9th of February 2021, Britney's lawyers ask a judge to end her conservatorship and on the 11th of February 2021, the next hearing has begun. The Los Angeles County Superior Court Judge Brenda Penny denied Jamie Spears' objections to sharing monetary control over the conservatorship with financial institution, as we talked about before, Bessemer Trust, who were appointed last year as co-conservators. The ruling was not a total victory for Britney Spears, but signals that, quote, the court chipping away at the sole control that Jamie has enjoyed over Britney and her affairs for the past many, many years. And that was said by Scott Rahn, a Los Angeles conservatorship trust and probate attorney who was not involved in the Spears case in any way. Oh, it changes everything. So we should see some interesting developments in the next couple of months, I would imagine, from that. It seems as though the movement is gaining genuine, legitimate traction with the court. Mm. And I think this is probably a good time to leave our listeners with our comments on the situation and something for them to perhaps consider as this whole mm. debacle continues to unfold in the mm-hmm. next months and potentially years. And as we always say, this is our opinion. Mm-hmm. We are simply talking about the research that we've done and the opinion that we've formed based off that. We always invite you to form your own opinion and let us know about it. Mm-hmm. Not at all legal advice or even legal expertise involved in this. Mm-hmm. Just two gals having a chat. In view of all of that, what, what's your thoughts? Okay, so my first thought here, and I got alarm bells actually first about this with the documentary because one of mm. Britney's lawyers comments that when she first instructed him, and instructing is a legal term where a client I guess, more or less gives instructions, asks the solicitor to do something for them. Mm-hmm. He said that she seemed to have capacity to do so, and if she has capacity to give instructions, then more or less he believes, in his opinion, that she has capacity to take control over her estate and and her being, her person. Mm. However, what I mm. would say here, Samara, is... As much as lawyers like to be all mightyful and wise and cover all areas of Don't expertise, we know it? <laughs> oh, we know it too, too well. 
they're not psychologists, they're not psychiatrists, they're no member of the Mm. mental illness field. They have no level of expertise in that. So I don't think it's her... He can comment as an individual, as a person, on his opinion of Britney and her, I guess, uh, ability to make her own decisions, etc. But in terms of Mm. her actual capacity... He can comment on her ability to give instructions as well. Yeah. But that's a very short window, right? He can't comment on her ability mm. or her capacity to, to to take control of her life, which is why I would want to report from a reputable, reputable psych to really determine whether or not she does have capacity because she mm. does appear to be able to do this almost insane superhuman stuff where she's doing tours. And, mm. and I'd be interested as well like looking at his opinion that she's able to give instructions you know yada 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 I I would be interested whether that opinion that he holds extends to his legal understanding Mm -hmm. of what a conservatorship is or whether he's just talking about her capacity because I think I think if he's speaking about what he sees in front of her in a legal sense rather than her capacity sense that's one thing Mm -hmm. but yeah and the the documentary did make mention and I didn't see it in any articles that we read so maybe we didn't see those ones it did make mention of one psych report that appeared quite early on that said she didn't have capacity so the conservatorship Mm. remained appropriate and obviously these hearings are more or less still relatively closed hearings the information's confidential the reports are confidential so whether or not and i would assume they are getting up-to-date psych reports as it continues is something that Mm. i'd like to know because Mm. it would really Mm. affect my opinion on the matter Yeah, I think it's really difficult because from a very black and white or flat interpretation of the situation, it seems really ironic that she has absolutely no decision-making capacity over her ability to enter legal contracts or her ability to choose to Mm. work or not to work, but that she's doing these really hard (laughs) tolling tours although in saying that she hasn't actually performed since 2009 so what i actually meant to say here was 2019 with covid it's not saying heaps but i i mean she's not currently working Mm. but she did also mention and this also goes to capacity i guess in a layman's sense Mm. is that she did say that she wasn't going to perform again until her father was no longer her conservator so obviously she has some sort of recollection or understanding of the situation she's in and knows her stance Mm. on it quite Mm. clearly right Mm. and i think that yeah if we're looking at that low threshold that the LA attorneys so you know experts in this area are saying for California the threshold is essentially someone who is so impaired they are unable to do the most basic of basic things to essentially stay alive right and if Mm. she's going out Mm. here and doing shows and she's making statements like I don't want this person to be my conservator and I will not work again until he's out those are pretty cohesive Mm. and I don't know, strong points of views to have for someone who, in terms of this threshold, needs to essentially be so low functioning, they need a carer, right? Is am I am am I missing yeah. something? No, 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 absolutely. I'm I'm on board with you. I think it comes back to what we always talk about, checks and balances, mm-hmm. but also appropriateness. Mm-hmm. It may this conservatorship may have been appropriate. 12 years ago when she was in a really, really low state. Mm -hmm. In saying that, she still worked through it. So uh, Mm. it just doesn't really seem to quite marry up. But I understand she has a massive, massive wealth and that is incredibly important to protect, especially for the livelihood of her children. Mm -hmm. And if she can't work one day because of these health issues that she has, it's important Mm. that she has enough financial means to be able to access services that are going to help her. But... I just fail to see how it being extended seemingly in the dark Mm. for a period of 10 years without any apparent checks or balances can be appropriate. Mm. And I think with that too, I mean, obviously the US and California is a a state on its own in the US that has its own kind of set of laws Mm. and its own jurisdiction. A similar but not similar process in Victoria, how vague am I being? I'll just get right into it. (laughs) We have this thing where people who qualify as having a mental impairment in Victoria, 
if they've committed a crime and they go before a judge and someone says, someone being a psychologist or a psychiatrist comes out and says, hey, they don't have capacity to stand trial right now, what the judge can then do is place a suspension on the trial for 12 months order a bunch of different kind of rehab or consultation services the person needs to undergo during that 12 months and then reconvene at that 12 month period and then see if the person has capacity to stand trial and I think in a similar sense I don't think it would be far-reaching or inappropriate to have done this here particularly given her potential wealth her current wealth at the time and the fact that looking at the context of her situation when they first entered this conservatorship her life was at an all-time low she literally was on she she was having a mental breakdown and a mental breakdown that Mm. clearly didn't last for 10 years because she's out and doing Mm. objectively successful and financially helpful things to herself like I just think Mm. that something like that would have saved saved her in quotation marks yeah well I think there's two things that I want to bring up from what you've just said one uh, we don't at the heart of it we don't really know whether or not these hearings have gone ahead perhaps just because of the secretive nature of what's been going on, perhaps these checks and balances have been in place Mm. and she genuinely doesn't have capacity and we're just not aware of it as the public because we don't have a right to it. So maybe that that is happening. My second point, mental health is transient, Mm. quite differently to an elderly person with dementia who is only going to keep declining quite similar to someone with a a really permanent disability Mm. who doesn't have any potential for rehabilitation Mm. I'm not sure if that's quite recovery I think is probably a more appropriate term mental health in a lot of circumstances you can be medicated and 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 receive treatment that means that at one stage you may not have capacity and at one stage and really really unable to care for yourself and unable to manage your finances whereas 10 years later with the appropriate treatment you might actually be in a place and it just seems like the conservatorship doesn't have the mechanisms Mm -hmm. in place to account for that kind of recovery yeah I think you're on the money there and I think just building Mm. on that point the fact that the burden is on the conservatee so in this case it's on Brittany so the conservatorship Mm. is in place and there's this person who is in control of her finances her father and now we're asking the person who we said at one point in time at least was of such a low functioning status that she was unable to Mm. care for herself in the most basic sense we're asking for her now to be the one to bring evidence forward to show that a conservatorship is no longer appropriate. And I just think that Mm. that is ridiculous, particularly given the fact that Mm. by someone being so in control of her life in its entirety, how difficult it must then be for her to brief counsel, to obtain correct evidence for that sort of stuff. She Mm. she won't even know what she has because someone has been managing it. She doesn't have access to her money. Managing it for so long. And that just seems broken in it in it of itself right why would that Mm. why would that burden not be on the person who continues to have this active role in managing her finances like Brittany is paying playing Mm. a passive role in this why would it not be the person who's who's playing this active role that has to be the one Mm. to prove that she still requires the conservatorship and I think it's really ironic as well when you consider that She's actually the one footing the bill for all of this. Oh, right. The lawyers, the conservatives, lo- conservators, lawyers, she is the one paying for it. And just on that as well, one of you guys actually sent a little response to our story box that we put up earlier today yes. saying... I haven't forgotten that you have to sing Toxic at the end of the <laughs> Saying um, essentially or, or querying whether or not we thought that her dad was taking advantage of her financial situation and obviously... We don't know the ins and outs of the situation. We know as much as you guys do. But I would argue that potentially he is. I mean, the documentary Mm. made it seem that he wasn't ridiculously present in her life, nor did he have her best interests at heart, quoting things like Mm. him saying, you know, my daughter's going to make me rich. She's going to buy me a big house and things like that. And then randomly... I mean, my first thought was who sends their eight-year-old daughter to New York City on a train alone to audition for a TV show? But, 
I mean, that's just me. <laughs> I think most of us actually. But anyways, what mm. I was going to say is that um, the conservatorship does, and, and many do, this isn't something, I guess, out of the ordinary, have a certain percentage of the person's estate which goes towards kind of the management, like paying people for the management mm. of that estate. And it's a really nominal amount. It's, it's 1% or 2% in the case of Britney's father. I think it was like one2 or something, which is super small. But considering it's an estate of multiple millions he would be Mm. earning a really large amount of money for an everyday person from a working class man that he was a really Mm -hmm. large amount of money by managing her estate so do I think that he's benefiting financially absolutely do I think that he's taking advantage of her I don't think that's something that I can make a decision on no well without making a decision on it let's just have a look this income isn't coming from passive Mm -hmm. sources as we said at the start of the episode it's not coming from dividends from shares it's not coming from investments well i mean partially it is but a lot of it is coming from her working so how can you say that he is not benefiting from her working or this conservatorship when it's directly related to the physical labor that she's doing and and i guess the physical labor that he is putting her into right like as uh, yes as because she doesn't have decision exactly, making capacity. as he has the decision making power over her finances and of mm. her person all of these shows she's doing all of the money she's making the songs she's producing etc etc a decision he a decisions he is making and and potentially making we don't know for sure he's making them but the conservatorship gives him the right to. yeah exactly that's so true actually a very good point Mm. So I guess when it comes down to whether or not he is controlling her or taking advantage of her and her finances, we'll leave it up to you guys to to form that opinion. But it's pretty Mm. damning if I don't say so myself. Mm. Now, just to finish off this episode, because I I realise we have been talking for a really, really long time. We've had some technical difficulties today. This has not been a smooth (laughs) recording. I'm really, really interested. As I was watching the documentary and probably it's quite topical at the moment, I was really interested to touch on aspects of sexism here. So Brittany has been sexualized. She's been treated really awfully in the media that I just really don't think that you see a parallel in the way that male celebrities are treated. Obviously, we, we, you know, have superstars like Brad Pitt and that kind of thing that are followed around by paparazzi. But I did note down a couple of examples. So look at Justin Bieber, similar situation to Britney Spears, right? Absolute overnight sensation, super, super young, made heaps of money, went off the rails a little bit and clearly was really struggling mentally. He was peeing in mop buckets, spitting on fans, and he had a fair few public meltdowns himself. He probably, I think he also shaved his head, but he was never placed under a conservatorship. He was never demonised by the media in the same way that Britney Spears was. Look at Shia LaBeouf. He was wearing a paper bag on his head on the red carpet that said, I'm not famous anymore. He has given so many nonsensical and racist interviews in the last few years and he literally refused to bathe for like months on end but he's not under a conservatorship Mm -hmm. I I just I I just feel like there's so many elements of sexism even the way that Britney was treated by JT Mm -hmm. and how she was the one who came out underneath and still to this day when people think about JT and Britney's relationship tell me that you don't think of Crimea River and oh poor Justin Mm. and I think too just just on that the woman the hysterical woman retort yes right rhetoric sorry I actually have this um noted down on my notes in that exact exact wording (laughs) right of course Britney is the one who has a breakdown goes into a hysteria mm. that of course she could not possibly come out of and of course is just so mm. classic female and so mm-hmm. she she no longer has capacity to look after herself but if a male like you have mentioned so many examples already goes into the same they're just thing troubled. There, there's no emergency conservatorship that they go under and mm. i guess that goes back mm. to the financial abuse right did, it, did her father come in and see an opportunity i mean I, i'm spitballing obviously but uh, it's a possibility yeah It's an interesting line of conversation. Mm. 
It just shows you how far we've got to go as women in the media. Yeah, you're not wrong. Even just the the narrative that she was innocent and, you know, this... America's sweetheart and she came to LA and you know the, there's the interview in or oh, a couple of interviews in the documentary where she she cries because people are, are saying this narrative to her telling her that she is corrupting the youth and even if you compare the interview that I mean you can find it quite easily on YouTube but they do include it in the documentary where a reporter asks if she's a virgin and it's really awkward and she obviously feels really uncomfortable versus the next scene that they show of JT being asked whether he f***ed Britney Spears and everyone cheers when he says that he did I just story as old as time it collapses me there's yeah. just so oh, many yeah, levels. Sure. But honestly, when I first saw the free Britney movement, so I was levels. like, what is going on? People have gone, gone insane in isolation. What is I going on with the, Britney Spears? Leave Britney alone. Yeah, literally. <laughs> and now that we've gone into we'll it, the there is so, this is such a complex, com- complex story. And essentially, mm. it is just a fire, a fire that keeps burning yeah. and burning under the complexities of society fire. and Britney's position as a yeah. child star. Like, it's just the perfect mm-hmm. recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm. It was quite overwhelming doing the research, actually, because it just kept deepening and it's been going on for so so Mm -hmm. so long that it it was just hard to know where to start but this is where we will stop and on this note (laughs) it is time for you to sing i will not be singing toxic i actually have quite a song you will be hold on what if i just do what if i just do the melody you do the melody as i outro and now you're in the know that was good fine yeah sure I think Shameless had a poll on the Instagram today that was, um, do you like podcast hosts singing on their podcast? And no. overwhelmingly it was yeah, no. Yeah, so let's, let's, not, overwhelmingly send, let's not send no. away our two listeners, hey? Oof, nope, I'm including it. So all sources from today's episode are in the show notes. Maybe we'll put some Beyond Blue because we do touch on mental health issues quite a bit and it, it might be triggering for some listeners. And on that note, we are a tiny independent podcast recording this again remotely because for some reason we it's started so a podcast sad. in COVID. Your support And COVID keeps coming back. Your support in getting our names out there is what is going to keep us going. Please, please, please subscribe on your fave pod streaming service. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Instagram at in the know underscore podcast. P.S. We loved your interactions with our stories this week. Keep it up, guys. Yeah, we got heaps of answers. Basically an overwhelming free Britney rhetoric, hey? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On that note, thank you very much. I will hopefully see you in person on Thursday and I will see all of our listeners on Wednesday. Fingers crossed. Bye. Bye. <laughs>